A great house is a house that God builds and keeps, but He does this together with you. This message is the first in the series, Miracles in Your House. The message is entitled, Creating a New Legacy. Here is Pastor Dalo Shields. I want to talk this weekend in a, a new series of messages I've been uh, preparing for and thinking about uh, in reference to the month of August that will lead us actually into the first weekend of September. I want to talk to you about miracles in your house. And we're going to start by talking about creating a new legacy for your life. The theme verse for this series of messages is Psalm 127, verse number one. I want to read this to you from the New Living Translation. It says, unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. There's an older translation that says, unless the Lord build the house, they labor or they work in vain who build. And unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord does what? Builds the house. It's interesting that all throughout the pages of the Bible, you will find God making reference to this word house. The word house is used time and time again in both the Old Testament Hebrew, New Testament Greek, and Aramaic. You find this word house coming up again and again. God emphasizes the value that He places upon your house. So it's important to understand what He's talking about when He says, building your house. Unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build it. What is your house? According to Scripture, your house relates to at least four things. Your house, first and foremost, is you. You are a house. The Bible says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so when the Bible speaks of God building your house, He is building your life. And unless the Lord builds your life, you're laboring in vain to try to build a life. So you need God to help you build your life. And then your house refers to your family. It refers to that intimate, those intimate relationships that you have in life. And so it's the family that God places you in. The family that you have, it's a natural family. Your family of believers, unless the Lord builds the house, your family, they labor in vain that build. A lot of people are trying to build a family without God. If you try to build a family without God, you're missing a critical element. You can't build it. It will be in vain. And then the third element of the word house, how it used in the Bible as it refers to your work, the work that you do, the work of your hands, your profession, your occupation, whatever it, that you, whatever it is that you give your attention to on a regular basis for making a living with your life. So that refers to your house, unless the Lord build a house, you, your life, your family, your work, and then it refers to your service for God. That's what you do in the house of God, how you serve God. So all four of these categories have to do with God building your house. And God wants to do a miracle in those four areas or miracles in those four areas of your life. He wants to do miracles in you. He wants to do miracles in your family. He wants to do miracles in the work that you perform with your life. He wants to do miracles in and through the service that you render to God. God cares about your house. Say together with me, God cares about my house. Say it with me, God cares about my house. He does. Unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. So part of building a house involves understanding the word that I want to share with you today, and that is the word legacy. Because you can't talk about house without talking about 
legacy. And that's where I want to start in this journey together. This will be a five-week series, Lord willing. And we're going to look at a number of different things over the five weeks. But I wanted to start by giving you a vision. I want to start by giving you a why. Why do we even need to talk about this topic? There are lots of reasons why, but it's primarily because you want to make sure that you're establishing the right legacy in your life, the right legacy with your family, the right legacy in the work that you do, and the right legacy in the service that you render to God. What is your legacy? Let me give you three things that will help you understand this perhaps better today. Number one, you must understand, as do I, that for good or bad, your house will outlast you. Your house will outlast you. There's something that the Bible refers to as generational impact. It's called legacy. Your heritage is what you're handed. Your legacy is what you build. Everybody is handed a heritage. Everybody builds a legacy. Those are two different things. You can't control necessarily what you are handed, but you can control what you build with your life, the legacy that you make out of it. And the Bible refers to this generational dimension of legacy. Notice Exodus chapter 19, verse number 3, then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the house of Jacob. Notice he's referring to Jacob. Jacob is dead. Jacob has been gone for many generations, but God is still talking about the house of Jacob. Notice Joshua 17, verse 17. But Joshua said to the house of Joseph. Again, Joseph has been dead for many generations, but yet God is still identifying a certain group of people with the legacy of Joseph. 1 Kings chapter 13, verses 33 and 34. Even after this, Jeroboam did not change his evil ways, but once more appointed priests for the high places from all sorts of people. Anyone who wanted to become a priest, he consecrated for the high places. We just, by the way, talked about this in our series in Israel. We talked about going to Dan and where Jeroboam built the altar to the golden calf. You might recall we referred to that in Israel. This is the story that's a part of it. This was the sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to its downfall and to its downfall and to its destruction from the face of the earth. And then finally, 2 Chronicles 22, verse number 3, referring to one of the kings of Israel, he too walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother encouraged him in doing wrong. So four times, house, 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 house. We could give you many other references, but what I want you to see is there is generational impact with your house. Centuries after people lived, God is still talking about their house and years after you live your legacy will continue it may not necessarily be identified with your name but there will be a residual effect of your legacy remember again the heritage of your life is what you're handed the legacy of your life is what you build the Bible is very clear about us creating legacies by the way we live notice Exodus chapter 34 verses 6 and 7 And he, this is speaking of God, passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers. Notice this. What does it say there? To the third and fourth generation. I'm going to come back to these two verses in a moment. But what I want you to see right now is the lasting impact of a house. Here it speaks of the fact that if we're not serving God in the way that we need to and learning from God as we should, it has an impact. 
to multiple generations following us. Now I want to take you to the second point because it really does build on the principle that I've laid out that your house is going to outlast you. Here's, a, here's your second thing today. God wants to free your house from every generational curse and bring you into generational blessings. I got one amen over here. That should have been a whole bunch more, all right? Thank you, whoever you were, but I'm going to give it another shot here, okay? God wants to free your house from every generational curse and bring you into generational blessings. Amen. amen. I want you to look with me again at verses 6 and 7 of, Uter- of Exodus 34. Listen closely. You got that on your, on your notes there? Look at it with me. And he, that's God, passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord. That is, he's revealing himself to Moses. And he, then he reveals his nature. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to, to how many? thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Anybody want to stop there with me and say, thank God that he forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Aren't you glad for that, okay? That's who he is, maintaining love to thousands. He forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty. Circle that word on your notes. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. So this ought to get your and my attention. That while God is predisposed toward showing his love to thousands, we can short-circuit that in our lives There are certain things that can be a part of our lives that if we're not careful, it can short-circuit the process. It refers to those who who are guilty, that the Lord punishes the guilty by allowing the sins of the fathers to pass on to the children to the third and fourth generation. Well, what is that all about? I think we need to understand that word guilty. I ask you to circle it for a reason because that word has real meaning for us and value in terms of its understanding. It's a word that means this, the unrepentant. That God allows the patterns of the unrepentant to be repeated. It's not as though God is taking your sin and putting those sins on your kids or your grandkids. God doesn't do that. That's not the nature of God. But if we are unrepentant in the way that we live, then the fact that we are unrepentant in the way we live means that how we live in a negative way is going to continue to impact our children and our children's children to the fourth generation. So I think it's very important that we learn how to repent. How about you? Because I think we have the wrong concept of repentance. Oftentimes, we think of repentance as a moment when we sort of feel sorry about something. But real repentance, according to the Bible, is when you and I recognize something as being not the right way to be or the right way to live. We open up to that reality. We understand the impact it's having in our lives. And we say, God, I don't want to live that way anymore. I am changing. I am turning in your direction. I'm taking the truth that now has been revealed to me. I'm going to live now in the application of that truth rather than denying it by my behavior I'm now going to repent I am turning in your direction God so it's not about emotions you feel you can feel a lot of sorry emotions and never repent or you can feel no emotions and still repent repentance is really not about what you feel it's a godly sorrow and awareness that you and I need to turn in God's direction the key thing to remember here is if we don't We're impacting not only our lives, but the lives of our children and our children's children. That we're leaving them with a curse instead of leaving them with a blessing. 
I want to talk to you for a few moments about a generational curse. Because this is what's been referred to. It's often referred to theologically as a generational curse. I want you to listen closely because there's a lot of misunderstanding about generational curses. I'm trying to clear it up for you today. I've been studying this stuff for quite a long time, so I want you to listen closely. A generational curse is not some mystical cloud that hangs over your house that sort of jinxes your life. That's not what it is, okay? That's not a generational curse. Here's the definition to my best ability to give you my best definition of a generational curse. Here's what it is. I'm going to read it for you so you'll get the full impact as how I wrote it. A generational curse is a sinful and or negative way of thinking, a sinful pattern of behavior, a sinful, a, a set of sinful negative attitudes that a person has picked up and carried on spiritually and emotionally from people who have gone before them. Let me read this again. A generational curse, what is it? Okay. It is a sinful and or negative way of thinking, a sinful pattern of behavior, a set of sinful negative attitudes that a person has picked up and carried on spiritually and emotionally from people who have gone before them. All of us here have people who have gone before us, correct? Right? Are you with me today? The primary place where we accumulate generational curses in our life is in our family, our family background. Because the reality is, is that in your family, whatever family you grew up in, there were issues in your home, correct? Because you say, well, I came from a dysfunctional family. Well, join the crowd. We all did, okay? There's not a single perfectly healthy family. It doesn't exist. Going all the way back to Adam and Eve, the very first family became dysfunctional. When sin entered into the picture, Adam and Eve had problems with each other. They had problems with their kids. I mean, you think they had problems with their kids? Cain killed his brother. I call that, I mean, murder in your family, that's called dysfunction, correct? Okay. So this is the very first family, okay? And so we all get so caught up, well, I've got dysfunction in my family. Well, welcome to the club, okay? Because all of us are broken, all of us are dysfunctional. There's not a single person who has your complete act together. And so you grew up in a family environment that had certain dimensions to that family environment, perhaps some that was good, some that were not so good, but you picked up stuff in your family. Now, generational curses means that you picked up stuff from a family environment that was sinful that you've never broken the pattern of in your life. It had an impact upon you in your thinking, in your behavior, or in your emotions, and you've never severed that in your life to move forward freely from it. And so it becomes a curse, not because there's some mystical sort of jinx upon your life or demon resting upon your mind. It, it may, there are certainly demon dimensions related to this, but what you must understand, it's a pattern of your thinking and living. There's a psychology to it as well as a spirituality to it. And so we pick this stuff up and it gets carried on to the third and fourth generation. For example, if you were raised in a family that the entire family was permeated consistently with fear or with insecurity and anxiety and you're growing up as a little kid in that family and all you feel around you is fear and insecurity and all this stuff happening all the time and uncertainty about life, what are you going to go into adult with if you don't deal with it? 
You're going to carry that stuff with you into a spirit of fear will get a hold of your life and it will have some kind of prominent dimension until you come to the place of breaking that generational curse. Let's say you're raised in a family where, there's, where anger is not handled the right way. Either there's a blowing up of anger, a misuse of anger, and it comes out in certain ways. You're going to go into adulthood being sensitive to or overreactive to anger or responding in the wrong way yourself. You carry these patterns with you. I could talk about addictions, for example. You know that addictions, kids that are raised in families of substance abuse and addiction, they're three to four times as likely as the average kid to have a substance abuse in their own life? Why? Because they, that's the pattern they learned in their family. They learned that I live life the way addicts do. And so my, my mom lived her life this way or my dad lived his life this way. And so that's the only way I know how to live life. And so they go into life either suffering from addictions themselves or suffering from overreactions to that and codependency behavior and other kinds of things that become a part of their life. But they carry that legacy on with them. They were handed a heritage, but for them, unless they deal with it, it becomes their legacy a bad legacy in their life. Anybody with me today? And so I could go on and on about all these different kinds of things. I don't know what you picked up in your family, but all of us picked up stuff. We picked up baggage. We picked up garbage along the way. It's just because of the fact that there's no perfect family and, and, and imperfection goes in various degrees. And some of you were raised in families that were quite, quite difficult to be raised in and some really hard stuff that you experienced in your life. And I'm here to tell you today that the God we serve is not limited by the severity of your background he is able to redeem you from it, okay? It's important to understand. You say, you don't know, Pastor, how bad mine was. No, I don't, but God does. He's well able to handle the severest of these kind of situations. It's all through the Bible. And so we're talking about miracles in your house. What is your house? Your house is you. Your house is your family. Your house is the work that God wants you to do productively with your life. Your house is the service that you render to God. God says, I want to make sure that that legacy is secure, that that legacy is everything that it needs to be. And so I want to move you out of generational curse into generational blessing, blessing for your life. Now, this doesn't happen without some things on our part. There's some things we have to do. Let me walk you through six things that are essential here. Man, I felt like preaching today. That's what happens when you're gone for four weeks, right? So, yeah. The first thing you have to do is you have to recognize them. You can't deal with something you don't recognize. And I'm telling you, I'm still recognizing stuff in my life. How about you, okay? You have to live on an ongoing journey of record. You don't get it all in one shot, okay? If you think you're over everything, that's the clearest sign that you're not over much of anything, okay? And so this is a recognition, ongoing recognition in your life to places where you're continuing to carry with you the baggage of the past that needs to be severed from your life and how perhaps a family background, or that's the way my mother was, that's the way my dad was, that's the way my grandmother was, my grandfather was, and you still carry that. So you have to recognize these patterns. How is past pain playing its way into your present thinking and your present behavior? What's, do you recognize it? Do you see it? Number two, you have to own it. This is important, owning it. Don't blame something or someone else for it. And you say, well, pastor, what do you mean by that? I mean, actually, what I'm going through in my life right now, I, that's because I was raised in an addictive home. I was raised in a family that was such and such and so forth. Isn't it their fault? Why should I take, why should I stop blaming them and own it myself? Because 
You can't do anything about what happened to you. You can do something about your future. You can't change your past. You can change your future. You can't change what was handed to you, but you can change what you do with what was handed to you, right? And so ownership says it's not a matter of denying what happened to you. It's a matter of saying, okay, I'm going to own the responsibility of doing something about this. I will be the turnaround generation. Okay? Whatever was handed to me, I will be the turnaround generation. Say together with me. I will be the turnaround generation. I, this has got to happen deep in your soul. Say it again with me. I will be the turnaround generation. That Somewhere in you, you say, I'm going to own this. I will be the turnaround generation. The next thing that's necessary is you and I have to repent. Everybody say that word. Repent. Okay. Repentance is not about what somebody else did. Repentance is about you. Okay. It's about where you are in your life. And so you repent of these things. Why? Because there are patterns that need to be broken in you. Okay. And the best way to sever the grip of the adversary in your life is by repenting. The devil will not stay around a repentant person. He can't, okay? Repentance is God's way of chasing the devil out of your life. Repentance is God's way of turning things around. When you repent, you own that responsibility. You renounce these things in your life. There's this godly sorrow that says, God, I don't want this to be who defines me any longer. Then number four, release people who've contributed to the situation. Release them. Let go of them. This is so important. And it's perhaps the hardest thing you'll do in the process. Because when you're feeling the pain of a heritage that was handed to you, and you're living a life that is somehow bound by things that happened to you, and you want to be free, but you feel bound to those things, the tendency to blame and to be bitter is there. And bitterness is a very subtle thing. Let me tell you this. Sometimes you don't even know when you're bitter. Okay? Bitterness is extremely... The Bible says the devil can show up as an angel of light in your life. Okay, And sometimes we don't even realize how bitter we are about stuff in our soul until we begin to let it be examined under the light of God's love and grace and mercy and truth. And we begin to say, wow, you know what? I'm holding on to something that I really need to let go of. Let me tell you why this is important. Because as long as you're bitter toward the people that left you with the heritage that you have received and you're angry at them, until you free them, you won't be free. Okay? That's just the way it works. Until you, until you free them, you're never going to be free because your focus is on them. Okay? And you can't move on to growth as long as you're... Anytime your focus is on somebody else and what they've done to you, you're, you're stuck right there. You'll remain stuck as long as you live in that place. And forgiveness is the best thing you will ever do. Why? Because forgiveness frees you. And forgiveness also frees God, if you will, to work in other people's lives. Because oftentimes we're actually in the way of God. We're trying to execute judgment on someone that God says, I never called you to be the judge. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Okay? And so we release them. We let go. We free that deep in our soul. And by the way, it's easy, easier to say, I forgive you, than it is to actually from the heart really forgive you. Right? Real forgiveness is not just the words you speak, but real forgiveness flows from the heart that opens up and forgives. The next thing that is essential in the process, if you want, how many of you want to break generational curses in your life? Do you? Okay. You've got to apply the power of Jesus' shed blood. 
You apply the power of Jesus' shed blood over everything that you've picked up from your past that is negative, that is wrong, that is, a, that is a heritage that you no longer want to be your legacy. You declare that there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of Jesus. I'm here today to declare to you and remind you of something that many of you already know. There is great power in the blood of Jesus. The enemy cannot stay around the applied and pled blood of Jesus Christ. The enemy flees at the pleading of the blood of Jesus. Destruction is broken when you apply the power of Jesus' blood in your life. I referenced it earlier in our ministry time here in Gaithersburg. I want to bring all the other campuses into this. But I talked about the, the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. But here's a part of the story I didn't reference a moment ago. It's the story of the fact when God said, I'm going to get you out of Egypt. He told them what to do. He said, I want you to all go get all you Israelites. Go get a lamb. I want you to put the lamb away for a certain number of days. Then you're going to all slay the lamb. You're going to drain out the blood. And I want you to take the blood of the lamb. And I want you to paint it over the doorposts of your houses. And there's going to come a destroyer through the land through the land but when i see the blood i will pass over you the destroyer will not be able to touch you because you've applied the power of the blood over your house okay and some of you today need to go home and one of the first things you can do this afternoon is just walk through your house. I mean, yes, physically walk through your house and just begin to declare in the name of Jesus, I apply the blood of Jesus Christ over this house. This is no longer the house of generations past. This is a house of a legacy that I'm building. You begin to proclaim. I'm not talking about something that is mystical and weird and strange. I'm calling upon you to just simply exercise faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. There is power power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. I want to exalt today the power of the blood of Jesus. And over your life, you begin to proclaim, I proclaim the power of Jesus' blood over me. I am a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. My house is under the covering of Jesus' blood. You proclaim the power of the blood of the Lamb. You read the story in the book of, in the book of Exodus, you'll find that those that were under the covering of the blood were not touched that night when the death angel came through. There's power in the blood. The last thing I'll mention here in this section, we'll move to our last point. You need to become a committed disciple of Jesus Christ. What that means is you better be on the grow, because if you're not on the grow, you're going you're to have trouble, you're gonna continue to have trouble, and you're not going to see Christian growth is your pathway to freedom. See, we try to make up all these things that make us free, but I'll tell you something, the pathway to freedom is Christian growth. Jesus said it in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples, you are my students indeed. And you shall know the truth. And what will the truth do for you? The truth will set you free. And so liberation comes from our ingestion of and digestion of and application of God's truth, God's Word. And so the thing that liberates you is not some mystical process. The thing that, that liberates you is the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the truth of God's Word. These are the most powerful forces you can ever invite into your life. And you know the truth and the truth sets you free. So get truth and your heart and your mind continually. 
So your heritage is what you're handed. Your legacy is what you become with your life. And God says, what I want you to do is I want you to exchange the generational curses and realize now you can begin to walk in generational blessings. Last point together. That means that you need to prepare your house for generational blessings. Just like that you can inherit generational curses, you can inherit generational blessings. And let me tell you something today. Listen closely. You would not even be here today if God had not already given you some blessings in your life, okay? All along your journey through the years, yes, you might have had some really tough stuff that happened to you, but God's been working in your life all these years trying to give you the help that you need. He wants to continue to give you the help that you need to get you into the flow of all the blessings He has in store for you. And all throughout the years, God has brought people into your life just to help you get on the pathway to blessing and get off the pathway of curses. Amen? And when you realize the people that God has placed in your life, I was thinking about this in my own life and just how grateful I am for the people that God placed in my life. And, and that, by the way, should be your first response when you realize that God has put people in your life to get you on the pathway. But you ought to be grateful for that. You ought to honor them. There's some verses there you can see on your notes. and You ought to imitate them. You ought to do everything you can to appreciate the people that have brought good to your life and are bringing good to your life. Because so often we get focused on the negative and all the bad and we lose sight of the good that God has brought. You would not even... Some of you, a year ago, you couldn't have dreamed to be in church on a Sunday morning, okay? I mean, you were barely getting over Saturday night, okay, by this time on Sunday morning, right? Okay, right? And now every Sunday where you're in church, why? Because God has been drawing you away from the curses to the blessing, amen? And many of you can look over your life, you see how God, you need to be grateful for the investment God has made in you to get you where you are today, amen? And the investment he's trying to make in you today to get you where you need to be in the days to come. So if you're not grateful for that and you don't honor that and you don't appreciate that, you'll miss it, okay? You'll miss a very gift that God's given you. And then you say, now, based upon the power of what Jesus has done for me and the awareness that God's for me, he's not against me, he's bringing people even into my life to help me, and I honor that, I appreciate that, I'm grateful for that, then now I'm going to begin to prepare my house for the legacy that God wants me to leave. And let's go to the book of Deuteronomy as we're wrapping up here today, okay? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. We're going to talk about how to prepare your house for blessing. I'm not going to cover this in great depth because the rest of the series is going to kind of un, unpack a lot of what I want to start with in this last section today. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and their children after them may do what? Fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and that, so that you may enjoy long life. Now, what we just read there is the shift from generational curses to generational what? Blessing. You see that? So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you so that you may be, enjoy long life. Now, how does this happen? He goes on in that very same chapter, verses 6 through 9. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts, not in your head, in your heart, okay? 
Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses, on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So let's just, stay, just take a moment here and think about this. So God says, I want to bring you into generational blessing. How does this happen? How do you prepare your way for it? The, prepare the way for it. Well, you begin to get God's commandments in your heart, okay? Not just in your head, not just information about God, but the love of God where? In your heart. And then you begin to take what's in your heart. You impress them on your children. What does it mean to impress the laws or commands or the Word of God upon your children? How do you impress your children with this stuff? A lot of Christians have the wrong idea about how you impress your kids with spiritual things. You don't impress your kids with spiritual things by trying to cram the Bible down their throat. You choke them that way, okay? You don't impress your kids with spiritual things by slapping them beside the head with commandments from Scripture. Now, should you teach them the Bible? Absolutely. But you, the greater thing to realize here, you should, yes, teach. The Bible says, talk about them when you're a house. Share them along the way. Let it be a part of your family communication that you're in love with God. You're in love with God's Word. You ought to read the Bible to your kids. We did that with our kids growing up. Every night, we had devotions. We shared time together. We prayed together. All that stuff is valuable. But the most important important thing to do here is to impress them on your children. What does it mean to impress them on your children? What does it mean when you impress somebody? It means there's something about them that captures your attention and says, I want to be like that. That's what it means to impress. When we're impressed with someone, it means that there's something about that person that wears over well onto you and that you want to follow their example. And so the best thing that we can do, and this is an ongoing journey, nobody gets this perfect. Aren't you glad that we don't have to be perfect to be in the flow of blessing? Amen? Okay. We do have to be repentant, but we don't have to be perfect. So there's a difference between being repentant and being perfect. So I'm not talking about being perfect, but I'm talking about being aware of the fact that there's an impression that we give to our children by the way that we live our lives so they can see the life of God at work in us. And that means that when we do make mistakes along the way that we are able to acknowledge those mistakes along the way and to turn the corner and to get things back to where they need to be so that they see the gospel working in our lives in real flesh and blood, imperfect people, but people who nevertheless love God. And again, we prepare our pathway for the flow of generational blessings. Now, I'm going to ask you to do one final thing as we're wrapping up today. I want you to take the notes that are before you. And I want you to find a white space on those notes and get your pen out. There's some pens in front of you on the, in the paper uh, in, in, the, uh, in the pews in front of you, the chairs in front of you. If you don't have a pen, find a pen. And I want you to write down this phrase. I am building the house of, and then put your name right there. Earlier we talked about the house of Jacob, the house of, uh, I believe it was Joseph, the house of Jeroboam, the house of Ahab. I want you to pull that. I am building the house. I write it down. I am building the house. Up. I want everybody to do this. It's important. I'm building the house off. And put your name right there. Now I want you to say together with me, all of our campuses, I am building the house off. Okay. Now we're going to do this again together. And when we get to the I'm building the house of, I want you to insert your name right there. 
I am building the house of do it again. Come on, like you mean it. I am building the house of. See, you begin to identify that with God, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. See, God doesn't build your house by himself. He builds it with you, okay? If you try to do it by yourself, you're in trouble. But when you partner with God, you begin to build a house that has a legacy, not of curses, but a legacy of blessing. Amen? Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We're so very grateful for the opportunity we've had to study. We believe that you're speaking to us in this month about our houses. Lord, there are things that you want to do in us, in our houses, in our own lives. Things that you want to do in our families, Lord, in the intimate relationships of life. Things that you want to do, God, in our work patterns. Things that you want to do, Lord, in our service to you. In the house that you're calling us to build. And Lord, we don't want to try to build a house without you. And I pray today in the name of Jesus for people who perhaps have been suffering under generational curses and feeling like there was never a way to get past that. I pray today in the name of Jesus that, Lord, you would begin to sever the grip of every generational bondage. Lord, we thank you for the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And this day... I pray, Lord, the covering of the blood of Jesus over the minds and hearts and souls of every person that's here. I pray, God, that there will be a breaking free. I pray, Lord, that there would also be, Lord, in each of our lives, a genuine repentance, Lord, that we would recognize and begin to turn toward you so you can help us in these areas, Lord. Lord, thank you for the victory that comes as we continue to grow in you so we apply the truth of your word to our lives today in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources 
that'll help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you. 